Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we head into the weekend, we have Sadie and John Paul both taking your calls at 1850-333-103. We love to hear from you. Anything you want to share with us, give us a call. You can text or WhatsApp as well to 0862-103-103. George has already contacted us because he says, listening to the news and listening to what was announced yesterday from Neffet and in particular from Dr. Tony Houlihan and Professor Philip Nolan, he is not holding out much hope that the Level 5 restrictions will be lifted after four weeks. When Level 5 restrictions were announced two weeks ago we were told they would be in place for six weeks but we were also told that you know they might take a look at them after four weeks but now all of the indications are that they're going to remain in place for the six weeks George feels with the way that the figures are going that we're two weeks in in another two weeks time he feels the numbers will be even lower and he reckons that retail at least should be allowed to reopen and they should start easing not completely get rid of level five but ease some of the restrictions and it's businesses George feels give businesses some bit of a chance to try to make some money as it is it looks like they'll just have the bare month of December in the lead up to Christmas but he's saying could you not give them an extra two weeks by in the middle of November allowing just at least shops and some of the businesses don't know if he's thinking of maybe hairdressers maybe beauticians maybe those kind of businesses some of the service providers allowing them to open or not so we're looking for your uh, comments on that because we're running a news story this morning that's saying Neffet are, are saying no intention to recommend the easing of any le- level 5 restrictions earlier than was planned. Dr Tony Houlihan said the lower the number of daily cases are in early December the greater the flexibility will be in easing lockdown restrictions and of course early December will be six weeks we'll have done the six weeks of uh, level five yesterday the figures again bit of hope out of yesterday's figures 591 new cases sadly three more deaths were reported looking at the cases yesterday 50 for us here in Cork it was 50 Dublin were at 120 and Donegal were at uh, 75 while our neighbouring counties was 46 reported in Kerry 
and 44 reported in uh, Limerick. But there are encouraging signs that the spread of infection here, which has has been increasing in older people, is also falling again. So that was a real piece of good news yesterday. And Professor Philip Nolan, he's the guy who tracks the virus. He said they're now estimating that the reproduction number is somewhere between 0.7 and 0.9. He says in some areas it could actually be as low as 0.5. The lower the number, the less the virus is spreading. He said the average daily incident of COVID-19 is halved in the last two weeks and it's now falling by 5% a day but he said it needs to be at 6 to 8% in the next two weeks. There are now 3 to 5 deaths from the virus a day but he said that is expected to also decline in due course. And the evidence is that the average number of contacts that a person confirmed with the virus that's also fallen it was down from four in recent weeks it's between two and three now when somebody's contacted to say you know how many close contacts have you have some are only having two it's three at the most so that's another very welcomed piece and then Dr Tony Houlihan took time out to talk about the 19 to 24 year old age group the younger people who had been almost demonised at one stage and fingers of blame were being pointed at young people for having house parties and we were constantly saying that not every young person is having house parties some in that age group were having house parties but we did start to see a rise in the number of confirmed cases in the 19 to 24 year olds so people were saying it's younger people who are continuing to spread the disease and of course the danger was whatever about in that age group they might not be as sick the danger was they'd bring it home to mothers and fathers or bring it home to elderly grandparents and we all know what can happen there Uh, so there was a big push to try to get the message through to the 19 to 24 year olds that you need to start bringing your A game folks and you need to start limiting your contacts so the good news yesterday was there has been a dramatic reduction in the incidence in that age group from 450 cases per 100,000 to 150 cases per 100,000 and that was just in two weeks. Young people have also halved their contacts in the past five weeks and Dr Tony Houlihan yesterday saying we all need to recognise the efforts of young people and actually in his in his press conference yesterday he said I want to publicly thank them so well done to all of the young people out there definitely doing what was asked of them and it has now been reflected in the number of COVID-19 positive cases in that uh, age group and Dr Tony Houlihan also went on to commend Ireland's overall performance against the virus. He said a second surge is taking place right across Europe. Ireland and Finland are now the only two European countries where reduction in the 14-day incidence has been observed. Unfortunately, all other countries are increasing. Level 5 efforts over the last two weeks, he says, have succeeded in further reducing community transmission and disease incidents in this country. However, now is not the time to be complacent. He said we must keep driving down this disease. We must keep going. And he's he's right to talk about Europe because some of the figures coming out from Europe really, really are frightening. And it looks like the second wave of COVID-19 infection that's gripping parts of Europe is actually worse 
than what the first wave uh, was. And obviously that's going to have a knock on effect because we're doing everything here in this country to make sure that we will be able to open up again for Christmas and that we will be able to try to have some kind of a normal Christmas. And we've spoken about trying to save Christmas. And if we all batten down the hatches and if we all do what we're told under level five, there is a chance that we could have some kind of normality by the end of December. But I think we're going to be caught with loved ones who are living in any uh, European countries or in America. America broke all records yesterday for the number in one day of COVID-19 positive cases. So I don't know if people that are normally around your Christmas table uh, who are living and working overseas, I don't know if they're going to be around the Christmas table this year only time will tell. 1850 333 103 and the Tornish Delia of rejected calls yesterday from several TDs and senators to allow gun owners to shoot pheasants this winter. We've been talking about that on the programme this week. There was a private meeting of the Fine Gael Parliamentary Party and a number of the rural party members said the ban on shooting was illogical and would also lead to an increase in road kill and Cork South West Senator Tim Lombard who raised this issue on our programme this week was one of those at that Fine Gael Parliamentary Party uh, to raise concerns about the impact on hunters not being able to shoot this season. Uh, Tim Lombard when he was speaking with us said that for most of the people involved they're the, it's the only activity that they have and given that it is done in very remote settings, it is done outdoors he said there is limited or no risk he feels of spreading COVID-19. He said it's totally illogical. It's one man and his dog going shooting. He says they can do it within their five kilometre distance of their home and they're away from everyone. He said we've moved on the numbers attended funerals and weddings and the world didn't collapse. He feels we could do it here for the people who want to go out and shoot their pheasants. Tim Lombard said that the failure to allow hunting will only lead to an increase in road kill. Leo Varadkar said that while he accepted the anomalies will exist under level five restrictions he said, if you move on this, there would then have to be a move on opening things like golf clubs, tennis clubs or other level activities. He said the restrictions have been in place for two weeks, he said, and they need to be allowed to work. So no move at all on uh, the gun clubs being allowed to go out and hunt for uh, pheasants. And I don't know because... Tim Lombard, we might check with Tim Lombard. Tim Lombard said to us because he had told us that he would be raising this issue at the Fianna Fáil Parliamentary Party this week. But also while I was talking with him, a number of people started ringing in. Remember about masses and not being able to go to mass on Sunday? And people said that they would prefer the focus to be on opening up the churches on a Sunday and allowing the 50 people to go back into church to hear Mass on a Sunday and Tim said that he would do his best to try to raise that issue as well so I don't know if he did I might get John Paul to check in with Tim to see did he get anywhere on that one and is there going to be any hope of seeing churches reopen we know they're open for private prayer during the week but they're closed for public Mass 1850-333-103 but the question to you this morning Are you with George, one of our listeners who feels because we're doing so well and because we're back again now starting to suppress and push back down that that curve and the figures are good and we're slowing the spread. We'll continue with level five, he feels, for another two weeks, but then at least allow 
retail shops and some of the services to reopen to give those business owners a chance of making some money to give them a six week run into Christmas rather than just a four week and it won't even really be a four week if it's the beginning of December it'll only be a three week run they'll have up to uh, Christmas Eve your thoughts welcome mentioned a couple of minutes ago that Cork South West Senator Tim Lombard raised the issue at the Fine Gael Parliamentary Party uh, yesterday about the ban on shooting he felt it is illogical and there's a ban on shooting because of level five restrictions uh, and uh, members of gun clubs in particular are bemoaning the fact that this would be normally pheasant shooting season and they'd be out and about and it's a pastime and it's a hobby for them. Uh, Eddie uh, has contacted us. Good morning to Eddie. Oh, sorry. Uh, good morning, Eddie. Eddie was there a moment ago and Eddie has disappeared. Um, let me just see. Morning, Eddie. Can I? We're not. I'm not getting through to. Okay, John Paul is going to come in and just see. Have I all the buttons pushed and not pushed? Good morning, Eddie. Ah, you're there. Sorry, my apologies. Wrong button pushed here. Um, Okay, you contacted us when you heard me mention about the uh, pheasant shooting. You worked with Cork County Council, and tell me what you you used to see at the time. And then the early eighties, I worked in Cork County Council Refuge Trucks. Right, and what did you uh, see? Uh, and the rake of pheasants, especially Monday mornings, you'd see them dumped into the rubbish bins. The pheasants, they used to be dumped into the rubbish trucks. So people have been out at the weekend pheasant shooting? Pheasant shooting, rather than use up the boards, into the rubbish bins and... Because yep. I, because I was always of the belief that when members of a gun club went out, when they shot a pheasant, that they a little bit like fishermen, if they catch a salmon, they bring it home and they eat it. Yeah, but this, this was happening with the with the pheasants that they were they were being used up at all, that they were being dumped into the rubbish bin and put out on the side of the street in Monday morning, and the rubbish and collected. And that went on, you reckon, for the entire season, the pheasant shooting season. Yes, the whole season. Wow. Well, so you, your your phone line is is particularly bad. Just move yeah. ever so slightly. Yeah, go on. What you're saying? Uh, I, 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 what I'm saying is that I, I'd like to see these birds protected, and they haven't been protected on through the years. But the gun clubs will tell you they raise the pheasants. If the gun clubs weren't rearing the pheasants and then they released oh. them into the wild, there wouldn't be many pheasants. So some of some of the men. Some gun clubs, I don't think any, some of them are raising pheasants. The pheasants are being born in small farms and other places to the country. Okay, so you're you're happy with the decision this year that there isn't a pheasant season at work yeah, at the moment? Yeah, and apart from that at all, apart from that at all they, they should, these fellows shouldn't be left to roam their own fellows' farms at all because you were dangerous spreading the disease of brucellosis and TB in the cattle as well. Well, well, I don't. I, don't think, I think most members of gun clubs, they if they're going onto somebody else's land, they have permission. They can't I just. I wouldn't say that. Eh? Okay. Well, they're meant to. They're meant to. I was, All I right. Meant to. 
Okay, yeah, well, what they're meant to and what they do I suppose are two different things. All right, yeah. Eddie, listen, thank you for that and thanks for joining us. 1850-333-103 on whether we need to ease restrictions, which is George's view, to give businesses a chance. We were told six weeks of level five with, that they'd look at it after four weeks, but now they're very much coming out and saying no. Neffert saying no intention to recommend the easing of any level five restrictions earlier than was planned and earlier than was planned will mean it'll be early into uh, December. Remember, Texas said it's all about money. If they ease, it will be back worse than ever. Lives are more important at the end of the day. So I'm assuming this listener says stay with level five. John and Clonakilty says, uh, Patricia, uh, like us all, I've been following the ups and downs of this pandemic. The HSE said about four to five weeks ago that they were worried about the rise in figures being tested for COVID-19. Now I see on Wednesday that the HSC are saying that they're worried about the decline in the numbers of people coming forward to be tested for COVID-19. By God, they seem to be worried about everything, says John in Clam. For God's sakes, that somebody else listen to Dr. Tony Houlihan. He's the man in the know. If he says don't ease the restrictions, then don't ease the lockdown. It's a case that crowds will be out shopping. And in my opinion, less will do for all of us this Christmas. We all need our health. That is what is so important. And finally, will cost retailers a lot more? It will cost retailers a lot more if they're allowed to open two weeks and then to close again after Christmas. Uh, Money, mode, money, money, is all that they think about. Oh, I, uh, uh, okay, sorry. I should have, I should have proofread that text first. 1850-333-103. John Paul and Sadie are taking your calls and you can text her WhatsApp 8 <laughs> With Level 5 restrictions now in place, it's more important than ever to keep it local. That's why C103 asks you to make every effort to shop locally. Whether it's in store for essentials online or click and collect. A thriving local economy is good for everyone. You'll save time and support local jobs. Supported by McCarthy Insurance Group, where you can shop local for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Thank you for keeping it local. Thank you for keeping it local. From everyone at C103. Yesterday I mentioned that the annual Tidy Towns competition looks set to go ahead next year. Following confirmation from the Minister for Community, Heather Humphreys, the Minister was responding to a question from Labour's Dáil Deputy Sean Sherlock, who joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Sean. Good morning, Patricia. Now, Sean, the competition didn't go ahead this year. Do you think it was really missed by local communities? I think so, and I'm delighted to confirm that it is going to go ahead. I I had put down a parliamentary question on the 17th of September to the Minister, where she she didn't clarify in her reply that it would go ahead. She said it would depend on the public health advice. So I said, "Okay, I'll keep pressing this 
uh, issue and on the 3rd of November I put down what they call a, to- a, a topical issue uh, to which the Minister responded and she was very emphatic uh, about saying that uh, it would would definitely go ahead for next year. I think it was missed because I, I think there was a danger, I suppose, in the minds of people that if it was to you know, stop next year, you might lose a certain amount of capacity in terms of the, the, the number of volunteers that might become involved. You know, that's something that I was picking up in other parts of the the, the country. And this competition is, I think, so vital at this point in time for what, what I call psychosocial reasons. And what I mean by that is that I think the volunteers, you know, you've all ages, schools, older people, younger people. But I think for older people in particular, for semi-retired and retirees, I think that if the competition didn't go ahead in uh, 2021, that you might see certain people fading back into the background on that. And And, and are some of the committees trying to keep doing what they had always done? Oh, yes, absolutely. And I think the voluntary effort was going to continue because I think, uh, you know, the people who are committed to keeping their communities going and tidy and enhanced, you know, will we, we'll continue to partner with Cork County Council and, you know, the local authorities. You know, they would have continued their efforts. But I think the competition uh, solidifies that effort because what it does is, you know, if you get certain amount of points in a given year, you always want to improve on that. Mm. If you miss a competition for a year, then, you know, there's always a danger of slippage. So it, it keeps people... It keeps the whole operation lean, if you will. But in fairness, I mean, most communities, as we know, uh, you know, we continue their efforts regardless of whether there was going to be a competition. Yeah, they, they do it for pride, for pride in their area. But but absolutely. all of the local tidy towns committees, which are dotted all over the country, they need to know, don't they, as soon as possible, if there's going to be any change to the format of the competition, for example. Absolutely, you know, because they... It, it, I suppose when you have a competition and you know that inspectors are going to be coming around, you know, that does concentrate minds. There's no question about it. Uh, And like I had no fear that the voluntary effort, you know, would diminish in any way. But the danger was that if it's lit for one year, it's just that you might lose a certain number of volunteers. And I think for me, the the issue was about ensuring that people who maybe might be living alone or, you know, who, who use the tidy towns as a mechanism to get out and meet people, that if they if the competition didn't go ahead, that they might not come out and volunteer and, and, and that could have the unintended consequences of increasing loneliness and, you know, social yeah. isolation and all of that. And that's really why I raised it with... Yeah, well done. Well, well done. And I also uh, saw on a different topic, you're calling on the Taoiseach to place the Mallow Mitchestown Road on a priority list. This really does seem to be one of the forgotten roads in this country. It's one of the forgotten roads. And, and to be fair, I think every politician who was a TD for the last 30 years has has raised this constantly. So myself and others across, you know, within other political families, if you will, and none. Uh, and we had gotten improvements on the Mallow to from my road. Uh, you know, that's going well now. That's a well-served road. But Mallow to Mitchellstown is the poor relation. And while there were some surface improvements over the, num- the last number of years, there needs to be that realignment. The reason I'm raising this directly with the Taoiseach now is because I, I just think that that vital link west of Mallow to get to Dublin, and there's, you know, haulage companies, couriers and so on and so forth who are, who are using, you know, Mallow, 
to Mitchelstown as a vital link to get to Dublin. And Mallow people and North Cork people use it significantly. Kerry people use it significantly. There are stretches of that road where two heavy goods vehicles cannot pass each other without slowing down to five kilometres an hour. And, you know, that's been well witnessed. And we had the recent protest by, you know, involving local hauliers as well. And we have to acknowledge their efforts. It had got to a certain point, and when I put down a parliamentary question on it recently, the answer I got back was that they would have to have, quote, regard to the availability of funding. This is Transport Infrastructure Ireland, which we knew previously as the NRA. I'm just doubtful that the money is there at present, and I'm trying to resurrect this issue and keep it live as an issue, because Cork County Council will tell you you know, just from informal discussions with officials there, you know, that they're not seeing the money coming from TII, uh, you know, to, to, to finish off the stretches of road that need to be realigned. Uh, so we just have to keep up the political pressure. And I think there's a kind of a cross-party approach on this now and just maintain it. But I'm calling on the Taoiseach to, you know, uh, give it a priority. He's a well Taoiseach. It's a national secondary route and we just want to keep Keep, keep the pressure going. Yeah. Okay, and like the rest of the world, uh, I take it you're keeping a close eye on what's happening across <laughs> the water in, in the US election. Yesterday, actually, one of our listeners sent in a text that made me smile who said that while we might give out about our politicians, when you look at what's going on in America, we can be very grateful and very thankful for our politicians. What are you making of everything, in particular of Donald Trump and how Donald Trump is reacting? Oh, it's unedifying is how I would describe it. I could I could describe it in other words which are not fit for mm-hmm. <laughs> public discussion at the moment. <laughs> you know? But uh, I, the, the interesting thing about it is is just how literate Irish people are when it comes to elections. And it, we're looking in, I think, at the US elections where people are trying to get into count centres and all of that. Like, we're lucky that we live in a country where you have political stability, relatively speaking. And you know, people can come to count centres. Anybody can come to count centres, and it's a, you know, it's a, it's like a blood sport, if you will, you know. And you know, but people are very actively citizens have active participation in the electoral process, and I think watching in from this remove here, I was up to two o'clock last night watching um, Trump's uh, press conference, and I just, I, I, I'm absolutely dumbfounded that you know, he would get to a point where he's just not accepting the reality of the situation. Like, he doesn't have a pathway to... Unless he, has, unless he takes Pennsylvania, you know, that's it. It's game over. And I, what amazes me is the silence of his Republican, uh, I suppose, compatriots uh, in the Senate and in Congress. I'm pretty sure that at some stage, if he doesn't take Pennsylvania, uh, you know, I'm sure that people will be whispering in his ear, look, it's, it's game over, you got to go. Uh, will, he listen, will he listen, though? Oh, he won't listen, yeah. no, he'll fight this. But I, it, it would appear, and, and we're all relying on John King and CNN for yeah. this, yeah. Uh, but like, when you listen to the CNN analysis and, you know, the, the legal analysis, the talking heads, if you will, it would seem that the grounds for which he would be able to launch a legal challenge to vote you know, is weak enough. And you have Trump supporters in some states saying, stop the vote, <laughs> stop the counting. And then another, uh, you know, uh, state saying, keep, keep counting. counting. You know, so I think any judge worth their salt would, would, would see that for what it is. 
Uh, well, I think he's already, I think a number of his uh, submissions uh, have already been knocked back by judges already. That There's just no case to answer here. Move on. They, ha- they have indeed. And I think the issue is the, it's, it's the on-the-day voting versus the mail-in ballots. And obviously the on-the-day voting went in his favour. The mail-in ballots went in favour of Biden. But I think from an Irish perspective, we need a steady and solid America because it's so vital to our own kind of economic interests and our social and cultural ties are so embedded into the US as well that what you want in politics is a fairly solid centre and a respect for democracy ultimately and a respect for the institutions. And thank God we have that here. We'll bicker and shout at each other, but by and large, every every political party, by and large, not every political party in the Dáil, uh, would, you know, does respect the institutions of state. And you can't take that for granted ever. You never know yeah. when that's going to fall. Yeah, yeah. And can I just say, watching the whole thing unfolding in, in the US, and I love the count centres and I love being around and I've been around enough count centres. Yeah, I have, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> for as long as I can Well, it's anyway. this day next next week, Sean, I'll be celebrating 30 years during this programme. Oh, so fantastic. it's that'll tell you how many counts I've been well, through. But when, when I listened to you know, Donald Trump, in, you know, aghast at what is particularly one of the small hours uh, of the morning. I was thinking at a count centre with your your late dad and it was it was a time when he lost his seat. And I just remember because I always think it's such a dirty game politics. It really is. And it's it's really you see it in the cold face at a count centre. But I remember your dad being so gracious in defeat. I mean, there was part of his campaign team who was about to start jumping up and down and he just went over. He put a hand on him and it was like, shh. Yeah. Just yeah. Go, and it just I just thought it was the mark of the man as well. So, I mean, he was obviously distraught that he's lost, but he was just so gracious in defeat. And I think that's the mark of, of, of every uh, candidate that we have come across in, in, in this country. It's the ability to take defeat and accept the wishes and the will of the people. Uh, and it's, you know, I think my father's generation of politicians, I think they bounced back. They went, they went, they, they went home. Just to themselves off. Yeah. They, they got up the next day and life went on. It was that particular generation, that breed of, of, of men and women. I think they, they got up the next day and they still did a day's work and, and they just got on with life. But I think, doesn't it say something, though, about Irish politics when you look at what's happening in the state, yeah. that there is that acceptance of the will of the people. Mm-hmm. If the people decide that they don't want you, that's their decision and you have to accept that decision. You can't not accept that. And we just got to get through that, that through to Donald Trump. Listen, we leave it there, Sean. Thank and you for that. Congratulations on the on the thirty years. Oh my God, that, you're that, very good. Long. You're very kind. Well Thanks a million. Remind yourself. Thank take you. care. Bye bye. That is uh, Cork East Labour Dáil Deputy Sean Sherlock. Eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. John Paul and Sadie taking your call. During the last lockdown, I still had some great friends coming into the house. It's not going to be any different this time around. Yeah, like, you really need good company when you're in lockdown. Friends are everything. They're my friends, so regardless of lockdown, isolating, distancing, whatever, like, we still be spending time together. I want you closer. At a time when we all need to socially distance, people are keeping C103 really close. The power of local radio has never been more prominent. And here's the proof. 247,000 people listen to C103 and Cork's 96FM every week. Source, JLR, Ipsos, MRBI 2023. 
Nick Richards have got the tunes to get me through the day. I always listen to Martina. She plays great music and she gives me all the goss. I want you closer. Be part of Cork's biggest social bubble. Stay listening to C103. Hashtag Choose Radio. Garthi and McCroom have confirmed they're investigating allegations of a prostitution service in the town of McCroom. We've received calls here to C103 claiming similar, with posts appearing on social media over the past number of weeks. Kieran O'Mahony is a reporter with the Southern Star and he's writing about it in this week's paper. Good morning to you, Kieran. Morning, Patricia. Uh, and, and you're welcome. What can you tell us about the allegations that are doing the rounds at the moment? And I believe have been doing the rounds for the last few months. Yes, uh, yeah, I understand that um, yeah, or an audio clip has, has been doing the rounds on social media. Um, having spoken to Superintendent Joe Moore earlier this week, he did confirm that uh, they did receive a, I suppose, an alleg- uh, allegation of a mobile prostitution ring operating in the town. And he said, like, as with all complaints, it will be investigated. And he um, knows the person who has made the allegation and will be speaking uh, to that person. And th- this recording that's doing the rounds, what's on the recording? Yeah, see, the, the recording, it, this is un, sort of unusual in the fact that the person who made the complaint to Macomb Garda Station recorded the call. And in the call, then, she alleged that um, certain indecent incidents had taken place in the town and were seen in different parts of the town. And then she continued to talk about other issues then as well. But I suppose what was unusual is that that clip then was shared on social media and it's been across many sites, as you said. What's, so what's I, the reaction locally been to that recording? Yeah, the reaction... Well, I spoke to one local community activist now, uh, Sheila Mibool, and she was uh, she was very disappointed with it and said that the, the allegations weren't true, that they were targeting uh, vulnerable people uh, living in McCroom. Yeah, and that's exactly where, I mean, we're not getting into what the, the, what was alleged on that particular recording, but it is yeah. targeting one very vulnerable group, isn't it? And that's, exactly, where, that's yeah. where the danger and the worry is from a yeah. story like this. Yeah, and there is a, Superintendent Moore did, did just sort of say, suggest as well that um, sharing information or sharing that, that video like that or making a video like that, which could lead to an incitement to hatred. Yeah. So he he said the person who made it may need to be wary of that as well. Okay, so the Gardaí are investigating the allegations but but they have no firm evidence that there is a prostitution service going on in the town. No, not at the moment. Anyway, as far as I know, as far as I'm aware. the, The investigation is ongoing. Okay. All right, listen, thank you for that, uh, Kieran. And thanks, thanks for joining us. Back on the 30 years as well. <laughs> You're very good. You're very good. <laughs> good All morning right. to you. Bye bye. Bye bye. That is uh, Kieran O'Mahony, who is a reporter with uh, the Southern Star. And yeah, it is going to be this day next week that we're officially saying I'm 30 years on air and uh, I know John Paul is working really hard. We're going. To tr- we're, we're trying to put a... a, a we had plans for what we would do for the 30th anniversary of the programme and in having lots of people in studio and all of that but obviously with level 5 restrictions and the restrictions we've been under actually since March we haven't had a live guest to studio since the start of the lockdown back in uh, March it was Neve Cavanagh wasn't it I must check with John Ball wasn't it Neve Cavanagh she was her last live 
guest in studio uh, and that was back in March we haven't had a studio guest since so we're going to have to do it all all over the phone as best we can so we're going to sort of look back on uh, just trying to look back on the 30 years from my own point of view personal highlights uh, for me uh, and also just talk about 30 years of the fact that C103 uh, has been on air uh, for 30 years it's been 30 years in the North Cork region since January but it was November of 1990 that the West Cork the studios in Bandon opened so that's why we've waited until this time uh, to celebrate so we'll be doing that next Friday we'll give you more details across next week You're listening to Cork Today on replay phone and text lines are currently closed Bill was on to say myself and the wife were driving into the city yesterday evening and we passed people who were out walking would you believe they were walking in black clothes it was impossible to see them it's, it's uh, he said isn't any wonder uh, he's not surprised that they're, we're not hearing about more accidents happening and more people getting knocked down and that people when they're going out for a walk really need to start wearing fluorescent jackets actually Bill I don't know if you were tuned to us yesterday on our Garda file with Sergeant James O'Malley was one of the pieces of advice that James gave at the end of his piece yesterday because they are obviously getting reports into Garda stations all over the city and county of people seeing exactly what you're seeing of people out walking and we've more people out jogging and running now either in the mornings or in the evening time and of course the darker evenings are in and that people are just not wearing proper fluorescent jackets high-vis jackets bringing torches you just need to be uh, lit up uh, for sure thank you for that Bill and for a driver it can be really frightening if you're driving and suddenly you realise that you know in front of you or to the side of you is somebody who's out walking or jogging and that they're wearing dark clothes it can be a frightening experience but trying to brighten things up a little bit somebody was on to us uh, to say they were out walking on Main Street in Mallow last evening and they couldn't get over the that the Christmas lights lovely they said to see that the Christmas lights are going up it's not that the Christmas lights are on by the council but they've started to put them up but what they couldn't get over was that some of the businesses have really gone all out and have put on wonderful window displays and that's creating a wonderful festive uh, atmosphere. And actually I saw online, somebody had up on a Facebook page online, uh, Christmas windows in Mallow and the lime, tr- the lime House and Bones in Mallow, beautiful Christmas displays. And I know some of the chemist shops have done great work uh, as well. So it's a kind of an encouragement to all retailers to be, you know, to create a Christmas display because it just brings that Christmas spirit to our towns and our villages and it's a tough time for businesses at the moment the ones you know that are closed and yet even the ones that are closed some of them are going to great efforts just to try to bring that little bit of a festive atmosphere some will say too early others will say God knows we're in the middle of this lockdown let's get a little bit of festive atmosphere and again they are the local businesses that we are encouraging people to try to support check in with them to see if they're doing some kind of a click and collect uh, service because many of them are 1850 Liz says when we're talking about when people are saying could gun clubs not be allowed to to go to have their shooting season again. Others are saying, what about masses? Why can't we go back into churches and have mass with uh, 50 people? Liz says, would the government ever get down to cutting a bit of slack to marts and to farmers in order to safeguard our future economy? That 
we know that marts have moved online and I know when I was off last week John Paul ran a piece about it and it just doesn't seem to be working for everyone it's working for some but certainly isn't working for uh, for everyone and just on the pheasant shooting there's been a couple of comments in on that let me go to this one first that came in by a WhatsApp from Jill uh, pheasants uh, Patricia we have lots of them around here where I live and they're not bred by any gun club. We protect them and a lot of local farmers have actually put up shooting strictly prohibited signs on their land as we keep getting unknown guys with guns coming into the area shooting the pheasants without a care of the fear and distress it can cause to the livestock. They climb gates, they trample the fields as if they own them. They're not welcome in this area at all. There isn't, there is not enough legislation on where, when and how they can use a gun and that is from Jill. I don't know what area Jill is messaging us from but uh, she obviously is one of the group who's quite happy about the fact that the pheasant season hasn't been allowed to re-go ahead this year. But Liam then was reacting to Eddie who worked with the council in the 80s and who was talking to us about the fact that on a Monday morning in particular during the pheasant season they'd open up the bins and there'd be a lot of dead pheasants. So people shooting the pheasant but not using it for food and then just throwing, tossing them into the bin and he also spoke about people going on to other people's lands and well Liam is, is refuting that saying Patricia with reference to Eddie who worked with the council who c- claims that cl- gun club members walk into any land that is a load of bull when you apply for a gun licence you have to have a signature of two landowners on your application form and that's the land that you shoot that you're allowed to shoot on. Most landowners have their land preserved, so you're not allowed to enter it, says uh, Liam. And actually, Liam, your comment is is backed up by a piece in the paper today for, by, was an interview done with Michael O'Donovan of the Rathgormick Gun Club. They have 32 members and they, they're obviously one of the groups who was hoping that the pheasant shooting season would go ahead and they made the point that they all stay in their local localities so the five kilometre rule you know staying within five kilometres of your house that wouldn't have been a problem for them but Michael O'Donovan is quoted in the papers is saying we walk every field every ditch and up and down every river and he said it's on land belonging to neighbours who have given us written permission we don't go anywhere else now Jill is saying something different happens but members of gun clubs say that when they get their gun licence as Liam says they have to put down the on the form landowners have to give written permission that they're allowed onto the land and it's generally speaking within five kilometres of anybody's household they do it locally because obviously they're going to need to know the landowners to get the signatures and that's where they do their shooting so they according to Michael on behalf of that gun club they said they would never enter land that would have a sign up like Jill says restricting saying you're not welcome here they say if they see that sign that they don't go on to uh, that land 1850 on what's going to happen with the lifting of level five and should it be lifted earlier or I actually I'm, in, I'm interested to see that the majority of people who've contacted us this morning when I started talking about this uh, earlier because George feels that businesses should be allowed open up so therefore rather than have six weeks of 
level five lockdown just have four weeks and at the end of the four weeks allow some businesses to reopen to give them a chance at Christmas this year. I, I'm surprised actually the majority of people contacting us are with Tony Houlihan on this one and are with Neffet who have said they have absolutely no plans to lift level five restrictions earlier than planned. Dr Houlihan is saying we wait, we see what happens at the beginning of December and then decisions will be made but they, he says no chance at all that they're going to ease lockdown restrictions before the six weeks are up. Uh, a listener says there will be normality when level five restrictions end. People will just get on with their lives. Family should come home for Christmas. Who is this government to tell us what to do? It's Christmas time. Nobody will listen anymore. I will be celebrating uh, Christmas. And I'm assuming that's reacting when I was making the point that in Europe, Europe is now in the grip of an even worse second wave than it was for their first wave and that to me is indicating that if there's countries where COVID-19, if they don't get a handle on COVID-19, bearing in mind that we here in Ireland and Finland, we're the only two members of the EU who have shown a fall in the 14-day incidence of the disease. All of the rest of the countries are going in the opposite direction and to me, if you've got family members living in any of those countries, Will they be coming home uh, for Christmas? Will be the advice be for them to stay away? This listener is saying nobody will listen to that and people will just come home regardless. Only time uh, will tell. 1850 Hi, uh, Patricia says this texter. Why is there a shortage of the flu jab by the HSE this year? Now, I tell you, the HSE will say that there isn't a shortage of flu. They say that they have ordered sufficient flu uh, vaccines but the problem is there has been unprecedented international demand and because of that it's impacted on the delivery of the flu vaccines. We've carried a number of interviews since the start of the flu vaccination uh, season on this one. Uh, Doctors and pharmacies are waiting. They get delivery, I think it's every two weeks and I think their due deliveries this week because I know I did a piece earlier in the week that the latest batch was just arriving into the country and then it was going to be distributed but remember it's got to be distributed to every GP practice and every pharmacy around the country and every GP practice and pharmacy now have waiting lists a lot of people have dates for when they're to go in to get their flu jab and and you know and please go and have your flu uh, jab if you have an appointment but you have to wait until you're called by your doctor's practice or your pharmacy because there has been a shortage but the shortage is it's the entire northern hemisphere it isn't just here in Ireland but the HSE are saying they have ordered sufficient supplies I think there was something like 1.4 million doses of the vaccine is what has been ordered between adults and children there doesn't seem to be a shortage of the children the children one is the nasal one and that's free for 2 to 12 year olds but it's the adult vaccine that there just is it's a supply issue in there's there's a shortage in the supply in it being delivered to uh, GPs so you need to check in with your GPs but as we've been saying all week as we don't want GP practices absolutely flooded with calls from, from people if you've already rang your GP and if you're on the waiting list the GP will they, you either will already have had a date to come in for your vaccine or they will contact you when they get the vaccines in and it seems to be while the, we heard that vaccines arrived in the country this week and then they were to be distributed each GP practice and the 
pharmacy are waiting to see how many that they will actually get. Because Dr. Mike Thompson, who joined us, who had done the drive-through clinic in Middleton, the flu vaccine clinic that they've unfortunately had to close down after one weekend because he couldn't get enough uh, vaccines. He said in his practice they have waiting lists for waiting lists to get onto the waiting list. Uh, So you just have to be really, really patient. But the HSE are saying that if you are on the, the, if you're in the list who's entitled to get a free vaccine and it is a very, very extensive list of people, you know, everything from people with chronic respiratory uh, disease, people with heart disease, renal failure, liver disease. It goes right through a list of household contacts if you are uh, a carer uh, and the list goes on and on and on. Obviously, anybody, any healthcare worker, they're all on the list. All oh, You're all entitled to the flu vaccine uh, for free. The HSE say that there will be a vaccine for everyone, but you just have to be a little bit patient and it's to do with this. It's to do with the supply and delivery of it. And as, as I say, it's not just here in Ireland, it's right across the Northern Hemisphere. Uh, such is the demand this year. 1850 uh, so just have a little bit of patience and thank you to Martin saying congratulations Patricia, John Paul, Sadie, Bernie and the rest of the crew there at Cork today for the fantastic radio figures that were achieved and announced uh, yesterday. Well done thank you and thank you to all of the listeners who are with us all of the time we appreciate each and every one of you C103 Jobs A full-time window fitter is wanted. That's for an immediate start in the West Cork area. While a receptionist is required, it's a 10-month maternity cover and it's in the Canturk Mallow area. Crafted Fitted Furniture, they're based in Miss Griffin. They're looking for a kitchen sprayer. And a qualified childcare practitioner is required for Ashes Angels Preschool. That's in Mallow. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. C103 brings you Farm Talk with John O'Connor. Saturdays at 10am and Wednesdays at 10pm. We have a long road to travel with this yet because what has been agreed as well is there's going to be a two-year transition period. The first year of the new cap, we have to use that time to get the best deal possible for our farmer. Turn on Farm Talk with Dairy Gold Heifer Rearer Cube, a trusted partner to help your replacement heifers reach their target weights and meet their full potential only on C103. Now, despite a ban on all household visits under Level 5 restrictions, the Department of Social Protection has confirmed that its inspectors and staff are continuing to carry out reviews which also include, in some cases, home visits. Social Democrat TD Gary Gannon has called these inspections callous and Gary joins me on the programme. Good morning to you, Gary. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, How are you? I'm very well and you're welcome to the programme. Now, these inspections are carried out to detect fraud. But with the spread of COVID-19 in the community, do you feel that these home visits should be suspended at least during the six weeks of Level 5? I absolutely do, Patricia. These inspections are carried out to detect fraud, but it's actually a low level of detection, even at the best of times in terms of the type of fraud they're seeking, social welfare fraud, especially when comparable to, say, pension fraud or heaven forbid even white collar fraud so even at the best of times you don't detect a lot of fraud I think most of the cases come back between 20 and 70 euro and previously I think Eva Grace Moore from your own examiner down there has highlighted some very disturbing cases of um, 
intimidation, social welfare inspectors rummaging through people's um, underwear drawers and taking pictures of people when they're walking down the street with their kids. I don't think it could happen at the best of times, but particularly on the level five lockdown restrictions, when we're being told to limit our networks, to reduce our contacts, the fact that this person, a social welfare recipient, may still receive a knock at their door from a stranger who then they then would be expected to allow into their homes. There's no need for that to continue. And what did the minister say to you? That, I mean, are, are these inspectors, are they deemed essential workers? They are, would you believe? So this was in a written question that I placed to the Minister for Social Protection this week and received a response from. They're considered, their work is considered to be essential. Now, social welfare work is absolutely essential in terms of being a providing the service to recipients. But actually, this form of social welfare investigation work is not essential. I mean, it's not essential that you have, some, you have to go to somebody's home and determine if they're um, manipulating the system to the tune of about, as I said, 20 to 70 euro has just been the kind of the average cases that have been detected. So there's nothing essential about this. But we have an old, um, I think we have an old mindset in this country that everybody in social welfare is somehow gaming or scamming the system, which absolutely isn't reflected in the facts or the, the data. But um, I think we're just very, we're struggling to get away from that mindset and I think it's an old mindset um, that we need to confront and I think there's been some great work done, done on it through some of the reporting in the examiner lately and that's I just want to make sure that we're just holding the ground on this. I remember a couple of years ago in uh, the inner city in Dublin I received a phone call from a, a constituent of mine who was absolutely just terrified about uh, an inspector that was going to her home because previously there had been um, had been quite um, it's been quite a challenging situation, so she just wanted somebody to sit there with her as the inspector was coming down. And like that's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with people who are genuinely frightened here. There's no, there's nothing essential about this. It's not going yeah, to. Um, I'm glad that you mentioned Eva Eva Moore's uh, piece because it was it was a great uh, in, in investigative piece. And it seems in the main, Gary, reading Eva's piece anyway, it's. It's like this, it's, it's, they're targeting lone parents to make sure that they are lone parents. Is, is that the, I mean, I heard of one, this was a few years ago, I heard of an inspector calling to a woman and uh, went into the bathroom and wanted to know who owned the extra toothbrush. And she said yeah. she just happened to have an extra toothbrush in the house uh, and trying to make out that there must have been a man in the house who, who, is that who the extra toothbrush was for? It just seemed absolutely bizarre. But is it in the main lone parents that have been targeted? It is. It is yeah. absolutely in the main of lone parents and lone parents women who seem to be targeted. And um, the work that is, I'm so grateful for the work that Issa Moore has been doing on this because I've been conscious of this practice for a long time, but I've actually never been able to get it into the mainstream. And Issa Moore and the examiner has really kind of illuminated this practice. And I think most rifle-minded people would say, actually, you know what? It's not acceptable. It's not something that's reflective of the type of um, engagement we want their public servants to be having with citizens of this country. So, I don't think, as I said, I don't think it's acceptable at the best of time. I think we need a new charter of rights for welfare recipients, particularly vulnerable groups, lone parents, being to the fore of that. I think we need a new charter of rights. So, what's their expectations of can be when we engage with the state? But especially on the level four, and we asked this question very particular. We, we had a reason for asking this question. We wanted to challenge the boundaries of this idea that a person could go to a person's home. And we wanted to understand, even at the most extreme level five lockdown, is this still a practice the state deems acceptable? And by the accounts that we've received back from the minister, it is. And I just think it's an extraordinary indictment of who we are and how we treat our citizens. But we don't want fraud to be going on. I mean, there there is a level of fraud out there. I know you're saying it's it's a very low level. 
how do we get around stopping the people who are defrauding the state? Because by defrauding the state, they're defrauding every single taxpayer. Absolutely, but defrauding the state, we're defrauding taxpayers, and that's something we should be conscious of. But we should also be conscious of actually becoming a bit more of a trust in the state. So when you're talking about what's being detected here at the minute, the average figure of where this fraud actually has been detected, the average figure of people are benefited to the tune of about €20 Euro to €70. Euro. They're not astronomical amounts, and it doesn't happen on a high level, but we should absolutely still confront it. But we should also ask the team, to say, well, what, would that, what would... And most of them are actually um, administrative mistakes as well, actually, in terms of the data that they bring them back. It wasn't somebody actively going out to defraud the system. It was an administrative error on the part of the department itself. But where these frauds do happen, you're talking about people who are living in consistent poverty. You know, one-parent families are the groups that are at most risk are in poverty in the state. I mean, they don't have access to two warm coats, can't provide meals for themselves, and um, are struggling to pay their electricity bills, no capacity for any nuts. So, so if somebody... Their children are most at risk of being raised in poverty. Yes, mm. exactly. So maybe we should create the conditions where somebody doesn't have... Well, they themselves... Well, like, poverty doesn't happen in isolation. The poverty of the child is always the poverty of the mother too. And maybe we should become the sort of state which creates the conditions where a mother and their children doesn't have to live in poverty rather than... Um, and if we create those conditions, we wouldn't have to worry about fraud because nobody would have to engage in it because people could feed themselves. You could heat their homes. So you could um, place two pairs of warm shoes on their kids over the course of a week. And these are all the factors, the indicators of poverty happen. So we, of course we can come down with the stick in terms of how do we can confront welfare fraud or else we could come down with an acknowledgement that welfare fraud only happens in a state where people are literally living at the bare face of poverty and maybe confront that first. But Gary, if if a lone parent has an inspector call to their door and, you know, that that very idea of somebody rummaging through your underwear drawer in your wardrobe trying to see if there's any men's clothing uh, in the wardrobe, I'm, I'm assuming that's what they, they were doing. And the whole intimidation of having photographs taken of you and your children as you're leaving your house and what time are you leaving at, what time are you coming back out and just how how distressing that that would be. Can a lone parent complain about an inspector and are there many complaints made? And also in the first instance it should be known that actually nobody has a right to enter your home. Um, a, lot of, a social welfare inspector can only be can ask to come into your home but you have to agree for them to do so. That isn't really commonly understood at the minute. Most people think that they absolutely have to let people into their home. They don't. In terms of um, complaints, yeah there isn't a complaint hotline now or anything of that nature but I think the more people become conscious of this the more public reps like myself are aware of it. I think we can start to develop a little bit more pressure on the on the, um, the department to adjust this practice and also like, nobody's suggesting for a moment well every single social welfare inspector is at this because it certainly isn't the case I mean there's more there's a couple of um, there's more than a couple of bad instances but I think it's the conditions the, that allow this practice to happen and there is there has been examples and they are more common than I'd like them to be of some inspectors taking advantage of this so I think we need to go back to a starting level and um, look at this practice redevelop um, terms of rights that every social welfare recipient is available of maybe start a kind of um, an ethics training with their public servants as well I mean they're fantastic people but obviously they're also very human so develop kind of more ethical guidelines practice um, ensure that we don't become desensitised to the poverty that's been experienced by social welfare recipients as well in some instances and also just Start this. Like, so if we went back to we went back to our base levels. Is this how we would engage in this? And I don't think it is.
All right, and somebody's making the point they know of, of a lone parent who was visited by an inspector uh, felt very intimidated exactly as what was described by Aoife Moore in the examiner. Uh, I was encouraging her to complain. Uh, she was afraid to complain in case she would lose her allowance. Yeah, and isn't that a sad indictment of the state? Where's yeah. It really is. And now that we're aware of it, I think it's incumbent upon us to change it. So I'm going to keep... Um, holding the minister's feet to the fire on this one and we're going to talk about it in the doll at every chance we get with the minister and just basically I don't think like nobody's nobody's approaching this as somebody's a bad person we're all good people trying to change their behaviour it's basically just trying to address a kind of a cultural issue that is set in here and kind of develop a better practice in relation to how recipients of welfare are treated in their engagement with the state and ensure that there's no way that that intimidatory behaviour can be allowed to continue. Somebody else is saying, what if you have a medically vulnerable person in the house? You might want anybody coming into your house. Can you refuse them? But you, you, you say you can, but people are just afraid to refuse them. Yeah, you absolutely can refuse. If they knock at your door, you can refuse somebody from coming into your home. They have no absolute legal right to enter your home without your permission. But people, again, are just afraid that if they say no, that their welfare payments will be stopped. And in many ways, the departments have been happy for that belief to exist. OK, all right, listen, we leave it there, Gary. Listen, thank you for that. And thanks a million for joining us on the programme. Anytime. Good morning to you. Bye bye. That is uh, Deputy uh, Gary Gannon, who is a Social Democrat uh, TD. Just actually on that whole issue of who would you allow into your house and not allow into your house, particularly during the level five restrictions where we, where we know there is a ban on all household uh, visits. We had an email in from Barry yesterday who wants to highlight what happened to his elderly mother last week. And I call this out to see, has this happened to all? other people. Barry writes to say uh, his elderly mother had a call from a man saying he was contracted by the ESB networks to come to her house to sort out her meter. Barry says I made contact with him and he informed me he was actually outside her house as I was speaking to her and he was entering her house to fit her new smart meter. I said please do not go into the house as she's over 90 years of age and we are very fearful of her catching COVID-19 so they're being extremely careful as to who's allowed into the house or not. He told me that they have clearance from the government. Anyway, I made him leave. I contacted the company he's employed by and they tried to give me the same line. I wonder if this is true, that they have permission to go house to house during the uh, pandemic. Now, this came up. This isn't the first time that we've had somebody call saying, contact them in advance saying your smart meter because we know we're all getting smart meters from the ESB networks. They are deemed essential workers so yes they are allowed to go house to house. I know that seems rather bizarre when we're told there's a ban on household visits but they are deemed essential workers. Now I'm assuming they're abiding by all of the rules. They'll keep two metres away from anyone. They'll make sure that they have masks. They'll hand sanitise. They will do all of that. But the last time we looked into it, you are within your rights as Barry did. You are within your rights to refuse the smart meter. So you, if you're not happy either about not, because some people are not happy about having the smart meters, but that's a whole other different argument. But if during COVID-19, during this pandemic, when people are really looking after very vulnerable older people and they are really limiting the number of people that they have into somebody's house and being very careful about who they're allowing in and not allowing in, if it comes to pass that you get a phone call 
or your family member gets a phone call to have one of these smart meters, you are within your rights to refuse it. But I don't know how many others are having these smart meters installed. I don't know what areas of the city and county they're working on because I know they're doing it area by area by uh, area. But they are deemed essential workers so they are allowed to come into your house and to take out your old meter and to put in your new smart meter. 1850-333-103. John Paul and Sadie taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. C103 has identified many advantages to wearing a face mask. Save time and money by only having to do your eye makeup. Forgot to shave? No problem. You're covered. It's easier to avoid an ex because they probably won't recognise you. However, the main reason for wearing a face mask is the most vital. To help stop the spread of coronavirus. Wear a mask. Wash your hands. Social distance. We're masking for a friend. Thank you. From C103. The last time I spoke with my next guest, he had just climbed 29 mountains, including the highest mountain in every province of Ireland. Conor O'Keefe from Glanmire, who is an ultra marathon runner and an adventurer, is now embarking on a challenge he's calling the Backyard Adventure. And he's living outside for 14 days. Conor joins me. Good morning to you, Conor. What's the slipping story, Patricia? Well, you're, you're, well, what's the story with you, mate? Okay, you're literally living in a tent in your own backyard. The obvious question is, why, Connor? Um, I suppose, you know, we, we're, we're going into lockdown, kind of like, the, it's two weeks in now to, to lockdown, and everybody is kind of, I suppose, it, it is dampening the mood of the whole nation, you know, and I thought to myself, I was like, okay, we are going into lockdown, but there are an awful lot of things that, we have still to be grateful for. We're in lockdown, you know, most of us in our nice warm houses. And uh, we have all of the facilities inside in there to, to keep us, you know, safe and well and warm during the winter months. Um, during lockdown, they said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go two weeks. I'm going to remove all of those things. I'm going to remove the heating and the light and the, and the nice warm showers and things like that for two weeks. And I'm going to get back in touch with the gratitude that I should have for my life. Well done. I've I've often said it here when we've been talking about when we go into lockdowns. Previous generations were asked to go to war when we had what's happening to us at the moment. We're asked to sit on our couch and watch Netflix. So there's a there's a huge difference to what previous generations had to face. Well, for sure. Like, I, and I don't for a second want to belittle lockdown, you know, and to, to kind of say, you know, oh look, you know, uh, it it could be way worse because like it, there is. A lot of strain being put on people's um, on, on on people's mental health and on, on, on households all over the country. And and I'm in a, a position where look, I'm in my house. You know, it's a it's a lovely place to be during lockdown. And I said, you know, what? I'm gonna I'm gonna I just wanted to remove those things to get more in touch with the the gratitude side. But I, I definitely want to tell people out there now that like, yeah, lockdown is you know, it's affecting us all differently. Mm. And um, th- that's the thing, you know, that I, that I definitely realise that uh, lockdown may affect somebody differently and, and affect me completely differently, you know. So, uh, yeah, but we, but we yeah. have so much to be grateful for is, is really what your message is. I want to talk a little bit about, about the rules that you've set, your own uh, restrictions. Um, yeah. y- you're not allowed to obviously go into your own house, but you're not allowed to even go into a shop. Nowhere no, indoors. Going, no, no indoor, um, no, no, no building whatsoever. So I'm not allowed to go to the shop. I'm not allowed like get things bought for me in the shop. So I went shopping before I started this two weeks, and whatever I bought is what I have. I can't get anything from the outside. I can't get any dinners from inside my house. I can't even get a cup of tea or a cup of coffee made for me. I have to cook everything. 
myself outside while I'm actually still outside outdoors. So nothing at all, no interaction basically with the with the inside of the house. And that's why like people are like, Oh you're 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 part, you're you're just right outside your house. I'm like, Yeah, I'm right next to the to the biggest temptation. You know, I'm I, I'm there every single night and you know, I can see my breath bellowing out in front of me and I'm looking in the window of my house and there's a fire lighting. You know, and it's like that's the that's what I'm you know, what what I want is, you know, to have these and I, I've been incredibly strict with the rules. I've been showering outside. There's a hose connected up to my to my uh, to my tap out the back, and I, I use that to shower. Um, I don't um, I don't go in for for absolutely anything. So I'm very very strict with myself on the rules. Toileting uh, outside as well. <laughs> outside as well. I, I I'm uh, I'm digging holes like uh, I call them wilder wilder poop. and uh, that's that's what I've been doing. Like you know, because it, like it's not meant to be comfortable. You know, this whole thing. So. I said, I'm going to set up some ground rules now and I'm going to stick with them from the very, very start to the very end. And then cooking. What are you doing for cooking? Yeah, I've got my own little camping cooker that I used on my trip around the country. Like, you know, so every morning waking up, usually I cook up. I, I, every single thing that I eat is used, just using boiled water. So I just boil water up and it makes my porridge, makes my noodles, makes everything that I want to eat. And I've got fruit and stuff like that as well, like because it keeps well outside um, so like I, I've been cooking up my own coffees every morning West Cork Coffee uh, just to shout out to my, to my buddy Tony from West Cork Coffee because he, uh, he used to play me with some coffee at the very very start of this and it's just been an absolute god then every morning waking up and just enjoying my uh, my nice coffee so yeah like I, that's the thing I, I have to cook up all my own stuff so um, that was a major rule for me at the start it was you couldn't have picked, you you started last Sunday wasn't it that was day oh, one yeah, yeah day Here, one you they, couldn't have picked a, a worst week from a weather point of view I mean initially we had the very heavy rain and then we went into the first frosts of the winter bitterly bitterly cold nights what's yeah. it like sleeping in your tent oh like the first day was just like li- like literally a baptism of fire like it was uh, it was walking rain down you know and so I spent the majority of the first day inside my tent which is three and a half foot high so I can't even really sit up inside and I'm six foot three so I can't even really sit up properly inside in the tent like so I was laying down horizontal for like hours at a time in this tiny space and then thankfully then it stopped raining but then the cold came in I woke, I woke up there the other morning and I opened up my tent and ice to fall off ice that had formed from the condensation outside my tent started to fall off everywhere I actually just started bursting out laughing I was like this is actually hilarious like what a week to pick like you know but um, I, I like I was just talking there to JP and uh, I was saying that it's getting really cloudy out here now in, in Glamour like at the moment and I'm expecting now for it to be like Noah's Ark later on today Yeah tomorrow. I think there's a bit of rain um, for it's forecast there's certainly some rain forecast for the weekend So how are you passing your days? Do you Are you a lover of books? Did you bring books with you? Yeah I have I have books with me I'm reading Lord of the Rings at the moment so Great if anybody's uh, yeah if anybody has uh, has read it they'll know that uh, you get quickly engrossed inside in it yeah. um, so I'm reading books I'm trying to learn French as well at the moment Okay. Um, it's just something that I started ages ago and I just can't I can't not do it anymore I'm like I, I, I really I set myself ages ago I really want to learn French and I've just been constantly going back to try and learn it and um, it's given me a great opportunity to do so Like, and I'm still training to do like next year I want to do 32 marathons in 32 days in the 32 counties of Ireland with 32 pounds on my back and I, I want to do it for charity like you know next year so I'm still training every day so today I think I've got like a two hour run to do 
and I'm always constantly kind of training, keeping myself fit. Um, like even like cooking up the food, tidying up around the place, moving my tent, like everything. I've I've just tried to to basically keep kind of busy. Myself. It's and yeah, it's exactly, just yeah. and that's the one message we're always trying to say to people. As you say, lockdown affects people. Everybody's so differently. It's when you get up in the morning, set yourself little tasks. I remember the wonderful Eileen who listens to us out on Bear Island, living on her own during the first lockdown when she was forced to cocoon. She did that. She put up a list of tasks that needed to be done and chores that needed to be done. And you just tick them off and just keep yourself busy. Yeah, I, like I, I ended up like stacking loads of firewood and things like that there the other day and like moving things around outside and I just been, you know, if people follow my Instagram, I've been making some videos of me kind of doing things around the place, you know, just having a bit of a laugh. I, like, I just try and entertain myself. You know, sometimes I think my jokes are hilarious, so I just throw them up on, on yeah. online, like, you and know. Pe- and where can people find you on Instagram? On, uh, at C-O-Keefe, C-O-K-E-E-F-F-E. Okay. Um, so everything follow- is up And there. it's really good. It's, it's, it's well. And you've a lot of people following you. Yeah, Jesus! Like, there's been a, a big influx of people following me actually since I started the backyard adventure. Like, so I'm very, very grateful for everybody that comes to uh, to, to watch um, what I'm doing. Like, you know, because like I I don't know was I telling you the last time when we were talking that I was due to start a master. Yes, you are. Uh, I, I I said I was due to start a masters. I actually sat down to my first lecture of the masters, and immediately once the Zoom call finished, I dropped out um, because Why? I was just like. I was just like, I do not want to do this Masters and I don't want to, you know, I didn't want to follow that path. I was like, I felt like I was following this path because I should be honest. It's like, oh, I've got an undergraduate degree. I have to go get a Masters. And I said, no, you, I don't. So this is what I'm doing right now is I'm, I'm trying to be a professional adventurer. Like, you know. And yeah, and I, why not? I, and why not? Yeah, you know, I'm backing myself to do it. Like, you know, so uh, anybody that... Uh, supports me in doing so like is, is it's fantastic I've set up my Patreon page for people to support me and everything through my Instagram so you know this is the first couple of steps towards that well goal. done well done what are you most wis- missing about your normal life well my normal life to be honest with you <laughs> I'm missing I'm missing dairy products I've no, I haven't had a drop of milk or a piece of butter or a piece of cheese in the in the last couple of days because it wouldn't hold outside, of course. I, yeah, yeah. I, no, I, I, it probably would. Only I just didn't think of buying it. Uh-huh. I was kicking myself. I was kicking myself. Like, oh, jeez, I should have bought a you know two liter of milk or something. You know, so I can even use you can use it to cook my porridge in the morning. I've been cooking porridge with water, which is brim enough. But at least I have the porridge. You know, and you could have got the long life milk. Do you know what I mean? I could have gotten UHT milk. Yeah. Like, you know, something uh, like that. Well, lesson <laughs> learned for the next adventure. Yeah, for sure, okay. for sure. Listen, you look after yourself, okay? And it's a pleasure as always to talk to you. Can't wait to catch up with you on your next adventure. And uh, we'll be following you on Instagram. Thanks for having me. Thanks Bruce, a million. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That is uh, Connor O'Keefe, who is living in his uh, back garden with the Backyard Adventure. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Now on Christmas decorations, and we heard from somebody who was complimenting some of the retailers in Mallow who've done lovely window displays and encouraging other retailers all over the city and county to 
try to get a bit of a festive atmosphere out there and try to take us out of the darkness that a lot of people are feeling, particularly during this uh, lockdown. Somebody said Christmas lights have been put up in Castletown Roach. Fair play to them. It is great to see. And then some of our listeners were on. Bernie in Mallow says, I've decided now I'm putting up my Christmas tree this weekend. Decorations and all. I feel it's the lift that we all need at this time of year. And Amanda was listening to us in Blarney and she's decided also that she's putting up her Christmas decorations this weekend. Outside lights in include it and she's hoping by doing it in her house it will lift the spirits of others and what put it in her mind was she drove past a house in on the north side of the city last during the week and the lights were on and she said it just put a smile on her face it gave her a little bit of a lift so she was driving home she said you know what I'm going to do the same thing this weekend and she's encouraging other people uh, to join her in that so what we decided to do was we earlier put up on our C103 Twitter page because we were getting calls in about people who were putting up their decorations this weekend and we wanted to know is it still a little bit too early to put up the decorations? Where are we at? We're on the 6th of November. Sorry, the first weekend of November. So we did a quick Twitter poll. 42% said, yes, it is the right thing to do. And 58% said it is way too early. And I think if we had done that poll this time last year, I think the difference would have been much, much greater. We would have people saying you are off your head. You are nuts, Stephen, because they're putting up the decorations. But I think a number of people are doing it, as as our listeners there pointed out, just to try to lift people's spirits a little bit. We were also on the C103 Facebook page looking for your comments on chocolate bars that have shrunk for Christmas. And this is a story that's coming out from Cadbury's. If I don't know if you've bought any of your selection boxes yet. And I was in a supermarket yesterday and the man behind me must have had 20 selection boxes. I was going to ask him, but I didn't want to. Who are you buying the selection boxes for? And you know, actually, can I just as an aside there, because it just struck me, he put up his two boxes of selection boxes and I realised he was buying 20 of them and he was wearing a mask and I was wearing a mask and I don't know what it is I think the wearing of the masks certainly for me it's putting me off interacting with people because I'm always afraid that people are not going to be able to understand me are I'm sometimes having difficulty understanding other people speaking when they have the masks um, and while I absolutely 100% see and agree where we should be wearing masks I think it's stopping that kind of interaction that you would have with total strangers when you're in a supermarket are like that. In the normal scheme of things, I would have turned around and said, whoa, you either have a very sweet tooth, you have a lot of grandchildren, or what are you buying all the selection boxes for? I would have just got too, too nosy and would have asked the question. But I think the wearing of the mask the face mask just put me off asking him but it did go through my head I was wondering what he was buying them all for but anyway that's an aside so if you have gone out and bought your selection boxes and many of the supermarkets now are doing the offers you know three for what for whatever so this is the time of the year that some people stock up on them the fudge bar you know the fudge bar that's in your typical Cadbury supermarket somebody has spotted that the fudge bar has shrunk by 12% compared to last year. So somebody got on to Cadbury and Cadbury say, yeah, we have made the fudge bar smaller this year. They're introducing a 100 calorie cap to combat obesity. Are you for real? Is that why, that's that what Cadbury say they're doing it? So to help, to help with obesity, they've decided to make the fudge bar and other bars smaller. Three out of six bars in the box are still over 100 calories. 
but they've decided to shrink the fudge bar and they're doing their bit for all of us and for the children of the world. Isn't that just really great at Cadbury's to do that? You know, well done. If you like fudge bars, you will be disappointed. 12%, that's a good bite, isn't it? Gone out of your fudge bar. We put it up on the C103 Facebook page. Some of your reactions in. Nicholas says that she's convinced that the tato box has reduced in size. She's got a... She's been got a really careful eye on the tato boxes. She says there's 18 packets of tatoes in the tato box this year and she's convinced that it was always 20. Hmm, I can't remember. Was it always... 20 rings the bell with me as well, Nicola. Anyway, Nicola says they're down to 18 and they're probably charging the same amount. She said even the tins and the boxes of sweets are not the same. They are definitely shrinking in size. They've been shrinking in size, though, over a number of years. That's come up every year. You know, the tin of roses and the quality streets and the heroes and the celebrations... They have been getting smaller and smaller. Box remains the same, but there's always been less sweets inside them. Andrea says there are less sweets. She's saying the same thing in the tins of sweets as well, noticeably last Christmas. So she reckons it'll probably be the same this Christmas. And Cadbury's and Roundtree probably tell you they're doing it so that we won't get fat. It's really good of them. They're keeping an eye on our waistline and they don't want us all obese going into the new year. While Tracy on the fudge bar, she says, shrink away. I'm not a fan of the fudge bar. And D on our C103 Twitter feed says, if they shrink any more, it'll only be the boxes that'll be left. There'll be absolutely nothing inside. It's crazy, isn't it? 1850 And someone says, yeah, and have Cadbury's reduced the price as well? No, you see, they haven't. That's it. They say they're doing it to combat obesity. But they should be. We should be paying 12% less for that fudge bar, but they're certainly not going to be doing that. The, they're putting up the lights in Canturk as well, Patricia. I went through the town last night. It actually gave me a lift to see it. Uh, well done to all in Canturk. And when the council are putting up the lights, are they switching them on early this year? I might get John Paul to send an email off to the council and to find out because like, the lights certainly are up in Mallow, but I don't know if they're switched on at night because, you know, they go up weeks in advance of the actual traditional switching on of the lights but I wonder are they going to put them on a little bit earlier this year. Now we had quite a sizable reaction to my interview with Deputy Gary Gannon who was talking about social welfare inspectors who are calling around to people's houses. They're trying to find out if there's fraud going on and it was a follow on to Aoife Moore from the Examiner who did a great piece a couple of weeks ago about what some lone parents are what's experiencing by Inspectors coming to their door, coming in, one you know, girl talking about rooting through her underwear drawer and her wardrobe to see if there's any evidence of a man living in the house with her because he's a lone parent. She's not meant to have a partner uh, living with her. And a number of lone parents feeling very intimidated uh, by it. So Gary Gannon raised it in the doll with the minister and said, you know, why during lockdown when we are told you shouldn't allow anybody into your house, no household visits, why are inspe- inspectors coming into people's houses? And we were told that they are essential workers, even though Gary Gannon says you can refuse to allow an inspector into your house if you want to. But then the fear factor, people who are on a social welfare payment, if somebody's coming to investigate their case, they're fearful that if they do anything by not allowing them into the house, could they lose the allowance that they're getting. So there is a bit of a fear factor there. A number of people are saying uh, comments on this. A lot of people, so Gary Gannon was raising it saying it needs to stop. Social welfare inspectors need to stop going into people's houses. But he says even take the pandemic away. He says we need to look at the way that we assess 
people who are on social welfare and we shouldn't always be thinking that everybody's involved with fraud because he said very little fraud is, is, is actually happening. Somebody says, Patricia, I know of a lone parent who is getting the weekly lone parents allowance. Her partner is there every night with her. Is that not breaching the rules? Mag says, only the Gardaí and the fire department can legally enter your house. And Mags, the Gardaí will say they're, they're, they can't even legally enter unless they have an actual reason to do it. And says, what about TDs claiming travel expenses during lockdown? Surely that's fraud. Anybody investigating that? Somebody else says, morning Patricia, it's about time they went into social welfare recipients' homes. This listener feels there's a lot of fraud uh, going on. And Patricia, too right, they have every right, the inspectors, to go into the home where they suspect there is welfare fraud going on. What about the guy who was claiming for his deceased parents, he was claiming the pension for both his mother and his father. It's a joke to all of us who work and all of us who are struggling. Actually, I think that was one of the points that Gary Gannon made, that there is a lot more over Overpayment rather than fraud going on with old age pensions, with the state pension rather than with lone parents, but that doesn't seem to get targeted as much as lone parents uh, do. Anyway, thank you. That was just some of your comments in on that. And just while we're on social welfare, Alyssa says, Patricia, could you find out are they paying the Christmas bonus uh, this uh, year? They are paying the Christmas bonus. It was announced in the budget. I don't have the date. I'll get it checked for you. It is normally around the first weekend of December that they pay it out. They normally pay it out in time for people to be able to get whatever they want to buy with the Christmas bonus. I don't have a date but I will get that checked for you but they are paying it and they're also what we waited for in the budget and it did get announced those that are on the PUP payment, the pandemic payment, the COVID payment, they're also going to receive it this year as well because there had been a query about would the people on the COVID payments get the double for the Christmas bonus and they decided in the budget this year that yes they will and then someone else has a question uh, Patricia question for you please about the lotto my mam sent me to the shop with a few lotto tickets that she'd won a couple of euro on now she let them build up for a few weeks and then went to cash them in but yesterday when I went in with her lotto tickets the young girl in the shop handed me back three of them and said sorry they're out of date can't pay out on them they were dated July 2020 I thought that that was gone while the COVID restrictions were in place is it worth my while checking with them we'll hold off because we've sent an email to Lotto headquarters just to find out because that's somewhere in the back of my mind as well that I thought the Lotto announced something but I don't know if it was earlier in the year during the first lockdown because particularly for people who weren't venturing outside their homes I mean during the cocooning era of the first lockdown I thought there was an extension on the dates on some of the lottery tickets, but leave it with us. But that will leave a very bitter pill uh, to swallow if your mother had had a win and there isn't that many wins on a lot of those scratch cards and then to go in to discover it's out of date and for it only to be dated in July and here we are at November for it to be out of date. Leave it with us and we're getting on to them and we'll hopefully have an answer for you before the close of the programme. On all of the restrictions that are on at the moment, isn't it more important to be safe and to celebrate Christmas on a smaller scale this year, writes Mavis to the programme. I think people who want to flaunt the restrictions are actually very selfish people. What's to say that they won't 
won't contract the virus themselves. They would be the first to whinge and to blame others. This virus is very serious and people are working very, very hard to find a vaccine. There are other people nursing and looking after people and just keeping the country safe and running. Would people just stop moaning? Abide by the restrictions, says Mavis, because it's for the good of uh, everyone. And Meg says, if we don't restrict our movements right into December, then wait and see. We will have wave number three and that will hit us in the new year. And for people who are saying they want their loved ones to return from overseas, regardless of what's happening in other countries, as some of the calls we're getting in, somebody says, will there be enough flights to bring people home this year? And then the other question, what will be the cost of those uh, flights? Which is two very good questions. And then there was a number of comments coming in about the pheasant shooting season that we spoke about earlier when I mentioned that it came up yesterday at a parliamentary party meeting for Fina Gale and our own Tim Lumbert who had spoken to us on the programme about it was one of the rural TDs who raised it but didn't get anywhere with uh, Leo Varadkar and Leo Varadkar said the restrictions have been put in place for two weeks now we have another four weeks to go and we need to allow them to work and he has no intentions of lifting the ban that would allow people to go back out shooting. The, the season should have started uh, last weekend. And then that led to people saying that we have people with guns coming onto people's lands and they're not entitled to be on the land. And we had for and against that argument. Re- pheasants, fox and rabbits. We have signs on our property, says this texture, saying no shooting. And yet just last Sunday, when, by the way, there wasn't meant to be anybody out hunting, people came shooting without permission onto our land. So it is happening that people go onto the land of others without permission. On pheasant shooting, said somebody else. How do the gun clubs know who actually owns the land and if the farmers actually have the deeds for that land to give them permission to go onto the field. The reason I ask, we bought land and hunters came on and said, oh, sorry, I thought Farmer X owned it and Farmer X gave me permission. There should be an onus on gun clubs to know who actually owns the land that they plan on going across to hunt and shoot. We have signs up but it's ludicrous. They will ask for forgiveness after the fact and that is too late says this particular listener. Hi, I am a farmer and people shooting and hunting always come onto my land and they do it without permission. They think they can go wherever they like. That's from Dermot. Jill says, further to comments about a gun club member, not everybody shooting pheasants is a gun club member. And as in every arena, you'll get good and bad, be they a club member or not. Nobody's perfect. We do have people shooting pheasants and the Gardaí are aware of them, says Jill, and they're coming onto our land. And that was Jill who had contacted us earlier to say that they have signs up saying no you know, strictly prohibited. And she was making the point about when people go shooting in an area, particularly with a sign up saying strict, you know, shooting strictly prohibited, that the fear and the distress it causes to livestock. And I don't know if anybody in, in who ha, who are members of gun clubs that you think would be re- reacting responsibly are aware of that. And, and I'm hoping they are. And then another lengthy text in on this same morning, Patricia, on the subject of pheasant shooting. Back in the 80s, I would go along with my friend and his dad on a pheasant shoot on Sunday mornings. Didn't have a gun myself, but I enjoyed going out in the fresh air of the countryside. My friend and his father were both members of a local gun club. They would raise pheasants every year to then be released into the wild for the hunting season. My friend's father, who was a true sportsman, 
gave up shooting these pheasants. At the time, these birds were so tame from being hand-fed in a in a pen that they'd almost walk up would almost walk up to you to be fed in the wild. They were nearly as tame as chickens, and they were so used to humans feeding them every day. That's not a sport. They were almost wo- walking up to be shot. It was slaughter. It wasn't a sport. Patricia, what's the sport in shooting tame birds? These pheasants are such beautiful animals and they need a bit of fair play. And they should not be hunted like this. They should be given at least a season in the wild after being hand raised. And that's kind regards from Patrick from North Cork. Now, how you would do that, I don't know. How you would know if somebody had only been released and they could be tagged in some way. But you paint a dreadful picture of birds being slaughtered if they literally are that tame that they walk up thinking that this is a kind person who's going to feed me and instead somebody pulls out a gun and uh, shoots them. Oh, 1850-333-103. John Paul and Sadie are taking your calls. You can text our WhatsApp 0862-103-103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. Cove GAA, they have their online Zoom bingo next Sunday night. That's at 8 o'clock. You can check out their Facebook page for more details or you can go to the Cork Diary section on the C103. Facebook page and this day next week Friday the 13th of November Avenue Macra are fundraising for the Irish Heart Foundation and they'll hold a virtual speed dating night now you need in order to participate you've got to complete the survey on the Avenue Macra social media pages then you donate 10 euro and you send proof of your donation to the Avenue Macra gmail.com you will then next Friday receive a link to the scheduled Zoom meeting where you'll be able to take part in virtual speed dating. With Level 5 restrictions now in place, it's more important than ever to keep it local. That's why C103 asks you to make every effort to shop locally. Whether it's in store for essentials online or click and collect. A thriving local economy is good for everyone. You'll save time and support local jobs. You can make it better. Supported by McCarthy Insurance Group, where you can shop local for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Thank you for keeping it local. Thank you for keeping it local. From everyone at C103. John Paul joins me in studio as he does every Friday looking at the different electoral areas. The figures come out on a Thursday for increases or decreases in the number of COVID positive cases. Morning to you, John Paul. Uh, now, afternoon. Or afternoon as it is. Yeah, we know last week's they had gone up and we said to everybody, don't panic, they're definitely going to fall and they have. this week. And they have. In every, am I right in saying in every electoral area? Yeah, they've, they've every fallen? area has gone down. Yeah, every area has. Yeah. Good news, yeah, good news. Has. Okay, good talk news us here. through. So we'll start in Bantry and the electoral area there, uh, which does take in Castletown Bear at the Mizzen and Bear at Peninsulas in Drimmel League. And last week there was 42 cases here in the Bantry area that has reduced to 29. And to Skibbereen, which takes in Ross Carberry, Dunmanway, Banleen and the Clonakilty areas. Last week, 71 cases here that has reduced to 60. And the Band and Kinsale area, again here, a large area from Timaleague to Kilbrishan to Inishannon, Balgooley areas 
areas and taken in parts of Town and parts of Crossbury. Uh, last week, they had 60 cases here in the Bandon and Kinsale area. That has reduced to 46 cases for this week. And to Carrigaline, uh, where you take in Ringeskiddy, Ballygarvan, and Myrtleville and Crosshaven. Last week, 120 cases in the Carrigaline area. That has reduced, though, to 86. And into the city, to the city southwest uh, local area, uh, where you're looking at Ballincollig, Wilton, Curraheen areas of the city. They had 228 cases here last week. This week, that has reduced to 147 confirmed cases. And the south central area of the city, uh, looking here at Toker, the Kinsale Road area, Magazine Road, Bandon Road, Turner's Cross area. Last week, 242 cases, and that has reduced to 134 cases there. And that was the highest area last week. And so that was the highest, really yeah. Good, good fall in that So area. a good drop there. Uh, to the southeast, where we are in Douglas, Mahan and Rochestown, last week, 182 cases. So that has gone down to 128 confirmed cases. And then to the northeast of the city, uh, where we're in Glanmire, Tivoli, Mayfield and Montanotti, uh, they had 196 last week. Uh, that's down to 128 confirmed cases. And then to the northwest of the city, uh, where you're in Blarney, Knocknahini and the Sunday's Well, Holly Hill area, last week there was 218 uh, confirmed cases and that has reduced to 144 confirmed cases, so all down in the city. And then uh, back to the county, to the McCroom local area, a wide spread here from Coachford to Ballingiri, Inchigila, Kilmurray and Mill Street. You had 91 cases here last week. That has reduced to 71 cases. And to Canturk, uh, taken in towns like Charneville and Newmarket, over as far as Bally Desmond, uh, Milford and Kilcorny and Tully Lease. Last week, 60 confirmed cases here. That has reduced to 53 this week. And the Mallow area, uh, where again a large area here from Liscarroll to Granada to Lombardstown, Glantan and Buin, 82 cases here last week. That has reduced to 68. In the Fermoy area then, uh, whereby you're looking at Castle Lines, Donrell, Shambally Moor, Rathcormac, Kilworth and Mitchellstown. Last week, 67 confirmed cases. That has reduced to 35 cases in Fermoy and to Cove where again a large area going from Carrignavar to Carrigtool Watergrassil and Nograha all included here 92 last week and that has reduced to 66 and then in the Middleton area uh, where you are covering Yall, Shanagarry, Ladies Bridge, Dungourney, uh, Ballycotton and Ballymacoda last week they had 60 cases and that has reduced to 45 cases so overall a reduction in all areas of Brilliant! It's brilliant and so the high then is Cork City Southwest. Uh, this time they've uh, swapped places, lead places with another part of the city. But good to see you all in the counties. And keep it up, folks. Keep it up. That's what we need to do. Okay, we'll do it again next Friday. In the meantime, John Paul, thank you for that. Uh, probably next Monday, because next Friday oh, it's a big oh. 30th show. Okay, so we won't be doing it next Friday. So it'll be we're, next we're Monday the, because the, Monday week. the uh, 30th is going to take over so, next Friday. So you're not going to come in and do it during the 30th? No? A lot of surprises no. next uh, uh, next Friday for you, but it, it won't be to do with COVID. Oh, there'll be not. other surprises we'll be that you'll uh, we'll we be... hope will be COVID-free next Friday. It, does, it won't exist next next Friday. Well, it probably will because we'll have to reference it with people not able to come to studio, but yeah. uh, it will be a, a big celebration next next Friday. As for we, we look back. As we look back. As we look back with surprises. 
Okay, oh, I'm I'm half afraid when I know, you say you hate surprises. Getting things uh, yeah, that are not prepared, so yeah, I like a lot of surprises. Yeah, oh, good, leave, leave. Yeah. Okay, uh, you love I it. Hope I won't be sick. Uh, no, you okay. won't. You love it. Yeah. No, <laughs> Thank you, you for it. that, John okay. Paul. Uh, John Paul, back answering your phones at eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. Okay, just quickly some of your texts in. Hi, tall. I can't wait for the Christmas holidays so I can stay at home and just relax. Why don't people just be happy that the virus will be down? Keep suppressing it, and if we keep suppressing it this year in 2020 what will happen we'll have a much better 2021 we'll be able to move around freely keep safe and well everyone please Kevin said on people who are complaining about pheasants being shot and the fact that they're hand raised and then they're almost like lambs to the slaughter because they'll almost walk up to somebody with a gun Kevin says uh, what about people who uh, eat chicken would you say about would you say the same about the chicken that be that's probably on your table every week and the turkeys that will you'll all sit down to on Christmas Day and may I say you will enjoy these turkeys and uh, chickens and they have to have their necks pulled. What's the difference, says Kevin, between that and actually shooting a uh, pheasant? Mary says, Patricia, I was visiting the new graveyard in Tollydees. There's recycling bins nearby. Such a shame to see bags of rubbish thrown throwing there. I just I hate when that happens. And we know in other areas those bring sites have been removed because of the rubbish, and then everybody suffers if the bring site is taken away because nobody has nobody's bins in which to bring their recycled items. John in Blackpool. Hi Patricia, would any of your listeners be able to give advice? How do you get paint off red brick? How do you get paint off red brick? Anybody help John there? Anyone with the no with suggestions? On Cadbury's making their fudge in the selection boxes smaller. Patricia, Cadbury's are not concerned about our waistline. It's a sneaky way of putting prices up. And as for the social welfare inspectors going into people's homes and rummaging through a knicker drawer, it sounds to me a little bit pervy. 1850-333-103. And I'm not really good at jokes, Finbar, so I'll try my best to do this. Jo- Finbar says, Hi Patricia, why can't Trump go to the White House? Because it's forbidden for Biden for Biden okay so I'm not really good at those kind of jokes thank you for that I'm Mark Malone our movie reviewer joins us on this Friday afternoon good afternoon to you Mark Hi, and you watch two movies for us The Witches and The Tax Collector and we have a very quick trailer from The Witches a note about witches they hate children they got me good and proper we decided to give those witches a taste of their own potion it's that time of the year your vacation is coming up you can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze relax and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind when all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync things just flow wherever you are Tap the banner to go to monday.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN.
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. I love being a mouse. The Witches. Well, I can tell by that trailer, this isn't a scary movie about witches. It is or it isn't? It, is, it isn't. Oh, it is. It is. It is a scary one. Yeah. Oh. Well, it's a family, it's a family scary film. I oh, mean, okay. Yeah. So I presume you haven't seen the original from, like, the original is like 30 years now. Mm. Which is hard to believe. It just seems like yesterday. And uh, I remember seeing it 30 years ago. Uh, Angelica Houston was in it and she was absolutely terrific. And it was uh, scary and creepy. And um, and I remember I talked to somebody recently who said, you know, they saw it as a very young person and they were very much creeped out about it. I saw it as an adult, so I wasn't. But I did enjoy it very much. So uh, this is uh, the new version, uh, which is uh, brought to us by uh, Robert Zemeckis. Uh, Robert Zemeckis, who directed Back to the Future and Way and so many other uh, films as well. And uh, also involved, in fact, are Guillermo del Toro and um, Alfonso Cuaron, who are Spanish uh, directors who kind of make very, very scary films. So when I heard that they were going to be involved, my first thought was just how creepy are they going to get? Uh, because there's, there's been this kind of argument over the years about kids' movies. Should we patronize children and not scare them? Or should we scare the bejesus out of them? Mm-hmm. And you can, then that's good for them because they realize that, uh, you know, there is evil in the world. So it'd be very, very interesting to see what... I'd love to know what parents think about this because it is a PG rating. But, you know, Trish, at times it is very scary and very, very creepy, I have to admit. And it kind of caught me by surprise uh, every now and then uh, as well. Um, so the story, uh, like this is kind of a little reference to it there in the, in the trailer, how uh, witches hate children and they want to rid the world of children. And the way they do that is... Uh, with a potion that would turn them all into mice. So they hear um, that there is this, um, uh, there's going to be this conference at this very, very posh hotel, and uh, it's going to be um, about children, and so they see their chance to go to the hotel uh, and um, rid the hotel of these children. In the meantime, we're also introduced very early on to a very, very uh, young boy who loses his parents. He goes to live with uh, his grandmother, and... Um, as he's in the supermarket one day, he comes across this very, very strange woman. And his mother, here played beautifully by Octavia Spencer, says, that is a witch. And he says, do witches exist? And she said, yes, they do. And then gives descriptions about uh, what they're like, because they're actually bald. And uh, they tend to have terrible kind of uh, spots on the back of their head because they hate hearing, uh, having the witches. Uh, they've got uh, very strange, uh, deformed feet as well. And they've also got three fingers on uh, each hand which has actually caused uh, the film a lot of controversy because there are those who say, look, disabilities uh, should not be scary. And that disability is, uh, is quite a common disability, apparently, um, amongst uh, a number of people. And uh, they say, look, limb difference should not be scary. And then because of that, Warner Brothers and Anna Hathaway have uh, both apologized uh, for it. Wow. Um, 
but but it wasn't so much that I thought was kind of odd. It was just the way in which they, apparently they have um, these scarrings on their face, which opens their mouth really, really wide. And uh, it, they reveal these very, very kind of pointed teeth, uh, which is creepy and which is odd and, and strange. And that, I kind of think, will possibly, for very young kids, it could, could be a problem. And, um, and that's the thing. I mean, it, it, I was surprised that it was a PG rating. I thought it would at least be 12. So keep that in mind if, you're, if you want to watch it with your child. And uh, they are. So you um, would suge- you would you wouldn't advise under under tens to watch? Would I you? don't. I don't think so. No. Well, it really depends on the children, obviously. But if they have, uh, you know, if they're a bit sensitive to this kind of stuff, this could be very very scary indeed and give them nightmares. Maybe I'm just as a father, just being kind of over kind of uh, conservative here. But I don't think so. Uh, so. Just be careful about it. Maybe watch the trailer. The trailer kind of gives hints at how creepy uh, the film is. The thing is, is that considering that it comes from the man who has made one of the most perfect films of all time, Back to the Future, Robert Zemeckis. It's, it's strangely dull and joyless, and that's the thing. And that's the thing about the first film. The first film had all this energy, and you were never bored by it. And um, and look, you know, I mean, I talk about Angelica Houston, but here we do have Anne Hathaway, who does very well. Just this very odd accent. It was like this kind of Hungarian accent, which turns into Swedish uh, every now and then. But she gives it all, her all, and uh, she's very, very good. And some of the CGI is excellent as well, especially when the kids... Oh, I shouldn't... I was going to give a, a, a giveaway there. There are mice in, in the programme, and the CGI mice are very, very good, and they are very, very sweet and cute indeed. So you, on the one hand, you've got kind of very scary kind of moments, and you have your kind of very, very kind of sweet kind of uh, little moments in the film as well. But I don't think there's enough of that. There's enough... There's not enough joy in the film for me. And at times it looked as if it was low budget, even though I don't think it is. I mean, the original film had just so much action and so much happening in every shot. Here, uh, there were shots with little or no happening in the background. It's like, okay, we've got, there are too many characters, they're talking, and there's very little happening behind them. And that kind of gives the impression as though, you know, it's a bit short of kind of budget, but I don't think it was. Um, But yeah, so in the end, I wanted more. I wanted it to be better. Um, but it's okay. If you were you just say, all right, Mark, give me a one-word review, I would say that it's okay. Oh, okay. Of course, it's the Roald Dahl, Roald Dahl book. It is Roald yeah, Dahl book, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, uh, so I just realised what it is, yeah. He, he always loved to scare children. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, but yeah, so for me, it didn't really quite work. I think if you had a choice between the two, I'd go to the original. Okay, Mark, it out of 10? Uh, I'd give it six, though. Six. And, what, and if, you were the, if you were reviewing the original, what would you have given the original? Oh, the eight, nine. Wow. Maybe. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. Now you also watched the tax collector. This is described as an action crime drama. Yeah, very much uh, an adult film as well, and uh, and certainly not for children. This one. Um, this one stars um, Shia LaBeouf. Now I don't know what you might feel about Shia LaBeouf, but. Um, He's very much kind of a method actor, and I have problems with method actors, but he does, he kind of goes to extremes. Um, this is directed by David Ayer. He made a film called Fury with David Ayer, which is about um, a World War II uh, uh, tank, um, a, a group of men who, 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 who um, go to war in a tank. And for that film, so that he could feel the pain and the difficulty of what it's like to be in a tank all the time, he pulled out a tooth. And uh, he, also didn't sh- he also didn't shower. For the for the whole um, filming That's of the film. method actors for you, uh, yes. I mean, he really does take it to extremes. And here, for example, he decided just before filming that he would have his whole chest tattooed. 
Well, Yet at no at no stage does he take his shirt off. <laughs> so I don't know why he bothered. But the thing is that that Shia, you know, he's either either terrible like he was in Indiana Jones, or there are times when he could be really really good. And he's actually quite good in here in this film. The interesting thing is that most of the advertising kind of artwork um, reference him, although he is actually the supporting actor uh, in this film. He's not really actually the star. Bobby Sato is the uh, star of uh, this film. And it is extremely violent on occasions. And, um, you know, David Ayer has made some extraordinary movies uh, in the past. You know, he's somebody who does, like, uh, you know, movies that are centred in kind of... um, in, in, in kind of L.A., uh, in kind of the, the, the seedier parts of the L.A., and uh, he's a very, very good director of this kind of stuff. Here, though, it doesn't really, really quite work. I know, and I hate to be kind of negative about it, but it, uh, it's only an hour and a half long, but it really, really does seem uh, longer than that. There are really strange, weird musical kind of sequences in the film which go on forever, and kind of, you're kind of, come on, move on, move on, and... And there are times, too, where there's a lot of flashbacks, there's a lot of slow-motion action, too, every now and then, which is completely unnecessary in the film. And also, I don't, I don't think the script is particularly very good, because you get the impression that, you know, the, the gangbangers in the film are not talking the way they would. They're talking the way a writer thinks that they should talk. And, and so because of that, it kind of becomes a little bit cringy. And it's also very stereotypical, especially when it comes to kind of um, the, the, the uh, members of the gangs that are portrayed in the film. And also, of course, the thing is that, you know, in the film, Bobby Soto and uh, Shia LaBeouf are what are called tax collectors. And, um, and they're working for a man called The Wizard, who charges all of the gangs, 43 gangs in L.A., tax from their earnings. And okay. they willingly hand it over. And I don't seriously believe that some of the most dangerous men in the world would just go, okay, there no, you go. No questions asked. Yeah, there's a percentage of all our earnings and we just gave it to this man called the wizard because they're frightened of him. These people wouldn't be frightened of him. So in that sense, I didn't believe that either. And I didn't believe a lot of what I was watching as well, unfortunately, which is a shame because some of the action sequences are very good. Some are really nasty and horrible and violent. And uh, the buff is great, um, but we just wanted more of him. Okay, mark it out of 10. I'll give it seven. Seven out of 10. All right, and it's yeah. called The Tax Collector. Okay, thank you for that. Have a good week. You're welcome. And uh, we'll talk again next week. That is Mark Malone, our movie reviewer. And thank you to somebody when we're waiting on the Lotto HQ to come back to us about the listener whose mum, she went into cash in Lotto scratch cards. I'm assuming they're scratch cards and... Um, July, the date is July on them and they're now out of date and she had three wins on them and didn't get them back. So she, so they're, they're gone. She can't get the money back on it. A listener sent on a piece. Now, I think, look, reading this, I think this is to do with, is this, it is to do with all of the lottery games. It said that during, when we went back into phase three, that the prize claim period went back to 90 days. During lockdown, they had a prize claim period of 180 days. But when we moved back into phase three, it reversed back to 90 days from the date on the ticket. So I'm just thinking the listener who contacted us said that the mother had a win and the date on the ticket was July. So whatever date it was in July, that would bring us up to October and she went in yesterday into November. So I don't know if she's going to have a leg to stand on or not, which is really, really galling when you have a win then to discover that you're not going to get any payout uh, on it. And Gina Mitchiston says about the man that I saw in the supermarket yesterday with these 20 boxes of selection boxes. She said, she wonders could he be a teacher? She said, some teachers, not all, some teachers will buy a selection 
collection box for every child in their class that maybe it was I've no idea I've no idea but with the mask on I wasn't I wasn't nosy enough to ask and it wasn't my place to ask anyway uh, that's where we leave you for today my thanks to John Paul and to Sadie for taking your calls today Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon we're back with you on a Monday morning for another edition of the programme until then I'm Patricia Messenger have a great Friday enjoy your weekend and more than anything stay safe and look after each other during the last lockdown, I still had some great friends going into the house. It's not going to be any different this time around. Yeah, like, you really need good company when you're in lockdown. Friends are everything. They're my friends, so regardless of lockdown, isolating, distancing, whatever, like, we still be spending time together. I want you closer. At a time when we all need to socially distance, people are keeping C103 really close. The power of local radio has never been more prominent. And here's the proof. 247,000 people listen to C103 and Cork's 96FM every week. Source, JLR, Ipsos, MRBI 2023. I'd be lost in the morning without Simon. Yeah, Patricia keeps me up to date with everything Cork. I want you closer. Be part of Cork's biggest social bubble. Stay listening to C103. Hashtag choose radio. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.